Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. It feels like fall outside. Glad that you're here and uh, thrilled that we can worship together this morning. This past week, I heard a true story about a six-year-old boy who had one of his baby teeth fall out. True story. That night, he uh, took his precious little treasure and put it under his pillow, hoping that he'd get something in return. When he woke up the next morning, a tooth fairy had brought him a quarter. A few weeks later, another tooth fell out, and the tooth fairy brought him another quarter. A few weeks later, another tooth dropped out. This time, the little boy sat down, scrawled a little note to the tooth fairy, put it under his pillow with the tooth, and the note said this, Dear Tooth Fairy, I have been a really good boy. I wonder if you could give me a dollar for my tooth because I could use some more money. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that kind of thing sort of cute in a six-year-old, right? But you know what that grows up to look like in a 30-something-year-old adult male? To give you one of what I could be Many, many illustrations. Uh, many of you will remember the professional basketball player, Scotty Pippen. Some of you remember Scotty. Uh, he was actually in the news for some other issues this past week. But uh, many of you will remember him. He uh, played for the Chicago Bulls years ago. And about 15 years ago, he was playing for the Portland Trail Blazers. And at the time, his contract promised him his guaranteed base salary. Just think about see if you can live on this. $14.7 million a year. I could eke by on that. You know, I could, I could figure it out. In addition to that, he had substantial income from endorsements, plus he already owned a 74-foot yacht, a $100,000 Mercedes, and that's a $100,000 Mercedes 15 years ago, not today's version of that, uh, and a lot more. He, just, he had all kinds of stuff. But according to Sports Illustrated feature article at the time, before every home game in Portland's Rose Garden, this was Pippin's routine, Okay. Pippen would let his gaze drift over, you know, during the warm-up stuff, he would let his gaze drift over to the courtside seat that was usually occupied by Paul Allen. You know who Paul Allen is, right? Co-founder of Microsoft, owner of the Portland Trail Blazers, the Seattle Seahawks. Paul Allen at the time had a, a net worth of about $40 billion. Billion, that's a B. $40 billion at the time. Pippen was known to ask, as he would go through this routine of shooting and looking over there, he would ask, what does he have? Forty billion dollars? And he would say, how can I make just one billion? I just want one of them. What do I need to do? This is a, a routine that he went through most games. Apparently the note under his pillow hadn't helped, so he had to go through this ritual. He wasn't the one who wrote the note. The Bible has a word for that kind of desire, and the word is covetousness. That's what it is. And in today's culture, every one of us, not just six-year-olds, not just 30-something-year-olds, every one of us struggles to some degree with covetousness. We started a series several uh, weeks ago on the Ten Commandments. Actually, you would like to think it was nine weeks ago, but it was actually eight weeks ago because, you know, we did two commandments in one week. You remember that? So eight weeks ago we started this series. 
And uh, today we're focusing on the 10th commandment, which is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I want to invite you to grab your Bible. You have it with you. If you don't have one, grab one in the chair in front of you. Open it up to Exodus 20, verse 17. Go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to look at that in just a moment, kind of hold it when, once you find it. <clears throat> Before we go any further, I want us to read all 10 commandments aloud together like we've done throughout the entirety of this uh, series. You know, we've done this every week. Some of you have endured that. Some of you really like that. And my guess is that the process has probably been helpful because, let me just see, has the Ten Commandments, have the Ten Commandments come to your mind more frequently in the last, say, nine or so weeks? Yes, yes. yes. You've been looking at the world through the lens of the Ten Commandments. Yes, I mean, I think most of us have. You watch the news through the lens of the Ten Commandments. Yes, that's what we've been doing. And uh, these are the Ten Commandments that were given by God to Moses. They were given to the nation of Israel. They were given to all of God's people, all mankind, at Sinai about 3,500 years ago. And uh, let's read them aloud together, okay? Let's do this. Ready? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Keep, I'm sorry, I messed up the fourth commandment, okay? Here we go, fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet the Tenth Commandment. As I said earlier, we're focusing on that Tenth Commandment today. It's recorded for us in more detail in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. So just look there in your Bible, or if you don't have a Bible for some reason, look on the screen. That verse says, in detail, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, just indulge me. Let's read the uh, extended version uh, out loud together, okay? Read it with me. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, God gave mankind this commandment. Think about this. He gave us this commandment because He knew, He knew already by this time that every one of us would struggle with covetousness. He wanted us to understand that we did not have to surrender to it. In fact, it was not His will for us to give in to it. You want us to know that every one of us could conquer covetousness, but if we were going to succeed at that, we'd have to fight it his way. So he instructs us here that it's not okay to just give in to it. So for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about three steps to conquering covetousness. And my hope is that you'll maybe take out a piece of paper, you write down anything that the Holy Spirit prompts you about in your life with regard to what we're going to talk about today. Sometimes I ask you to make the, the points or whatever, and you can do that if you're like really concerned to do that. But I would encourage you, make a note of anything the Holy Spirit says in here. Hey, what about this with regard to you? And if he prompts you something, jot it down. That way you can reflect on that in the days ahead. And that's, uh, 
That's probably more important than some of the other things I would say, whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you about during this, this message. So, so make note of that. We're going to talk about three steps to conquering covetousness. And the first step is this. Step one is we need to understand the command if we're going to conquer this thing. I mean, we've got to understand the command. And let me just be clear. I, I start there because in today's culture, I'm not sure that we all understand what God is actually driving at here and the urgency that he has about it. Look carefully at Exodus 20, verse 17 with me. Just look and let's analyze the verse a little bit. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The idea behind the original Hebrew word for covet is this. It's wrong. It's wrong to crave after to lust after, to hunger for, to jealously desire, to enviously want anything, anything that belongs to someone else, including a bowl of candy. Have you ever been on a diet and you just... I started working out here uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, and I haven't done that for about a decade, and I'm paying the price for it right now. And there's a little bit of me that would like to have this dum-dum right here. (laughs) Not because it's good for me, but because it tastes good, right? We all understand this whole idea of covetousness to some degree. Let me give you a mental illustration, another mental picture of covetousness. Many of you know that Lori and I have a, a lovable, wonderful dog named Sam. Sam, it's yellow lab. He's a 105-pound yellow lab. And and I want you to think with me about this. Guess how our yellow lab Sam responds when Dad puts a slab of ribs in our smoker out on our deck. Some of you have a picture in your mind already. Let me just flesh it out for you a little bit. If you're with me when that happens and Sam happens to be there, Sam, suddenly his eyes just get really large, about as large as his head, and his head is huge. So his eyes just get really large. His body gets very rigid. His attention is riveted on me and, and the sacred pan that I'm carrying. This is what's going on with Sam. He becomes very attentive to my every move or stumble. He's, he's praying for that as I walk. Uh, he becomes protective of the smoker. Once I put the, sm- put the meat in the smoker, he will stand guard there. I can come near the smoker. Pity the poor fool who joins me. I mean, he will be between them and the smoker. This is, you know, he might sit, but he won't look at you. He will be looking at the smoker as he's there. He's bowing humbly before the smoker is what he's doing. Often, if this goes on long enough for Sam, the yellow lab... Uh, he begins to drool as he looks at the smoker longingly. And the longer I sit there and look at him, the more he drools. Sam is coveting my ribs. That's what he's doing. Coveting is an intense desire to acquire what belongs to someone else. It's when we crave it. 
when we lust after it, when we hunger for it, when we jealously desire it, when we enviously want it, we, we may not physically drool, but in our spirits we're praying that something will come our way, that we can have this thing, and we're drooling in the process in spirit. Notice at Exodus 20, verse 17, some of the common objects that from God's perspective we're tempted to crave like that. Someone's house. You ever gone on Sunday afternoon drives and you, you got a nice house, you like your house, it's, you know, the roof is dry. I mean, this is a real estate agent's dream. You know, I just noticed Jeff back here, the real estate agent. You know, I'm just saying, it's a real estate agent's dream is covetousness of somebody else's house. It's okay because that's his answered prayer. But, but the fact is, the fact is, sometimes we'll get in a car, we'll drive around and, and like, our $150,000 house just seems weak and undesirable as we look at the $400,000 houses that are being built. And, or maybe those of us who have a $400,000 house, we take the afternoon drive on Sunday afternoon and the $750,000 house, you know, with the, the pond and the manicured lawn and the outbuilt, just think, Wow. I'd really like to have, I wish my present house would burn so I could accumulate the maximum money for, has this ever happened to anybody? Scripture saying, you know, according to the text, it's a common object that we're tempted to crave is, is a house or a spouse. You know, that other person maybe is just more attractive or more sensitive that person will watch a Hallmark movie with you. I can't get my thug to do that. Maybe that person's more generous or more frugal, more wealthy, just more fun. How common is that? According to the text, sometimes we're tempted to crave someone else's servant, ox, or donkey. Now, right now, some of us are thinking to ourselves, yes, I avoided some of this. I have never coveted somebody's donkey or ox or servant. <laughs> Let me translate this into our culture a little more, just to unnerve you further, okay, all of us. God's saying we should not jealously desire or enviously want someone else's, are you ready? Star employee or their job, or livelihood, or their car, van, pickup, or Harley. You say, where is that in the text? Where is that in the text? Think about it. In less affluent cultures, employees are servants of the rich. Right? In less affluent cultures, an ox is your tractor or your work equipment. It's your means of earning a livelihood. It's your ability to till farmland. I was in Ethiopia several years ago and, and watched two oxen tilling farmland like right now. It's 2008 and they're still doing it today. I can guarantee you right there. It's, it's the ability to earn a living is what that represents. Your livelihood is intrinsically tied to that ox's well-being. 
And a donkey in that kind of culture is your means of transportation. What did Jesus, or, or what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, ride to Bethlehem? You remember? Say it. A donkey. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, you know, when he was, was uh, being celebrated on uh, Palm Sunday, what was he riding? A donkey. In ancient times and in less affluent cultures, a horse is the modern-day equivalent of a sports car. Think about this with me. The horse is the sports car. A donkey is your Honda Accord. It's your minivan. God's saying, you and I must not covet any of those things or anything else that belongs to someone else. Sufficiently, like, rattled, some of you? This is just what God's saying. Which brings us to step number two. If we're going to conquer covetousness, we need to not only just understand, you know, the, the idea of the command, but we've got to accept the truth about covetousness. And this is really difficult for our culture. And here is the truth, the hard truth, nothing but the truth. Covetousness, from God's perspective, is a sin. It's a sin, and it's always bad. Always. It's bad for us. It's bad for others. It's bad for governments. It's bad for nations. It's bad for anyone and everyone. And here's why this is such an important point, and, and I want you to think with me about this. You and I live in a generation that has naively believed that greed, which is really coveting money, right? Greed is just coveting money. We believe in our generation, do we not, that greed is good. It's not just a line in a movie. We believe that. Many in our culture. In our generation, think about it, marketing is almost entirely designed to produce discontent and a craving in people for some service, some product that, oh, by coincidence, we want to sell them. Right? In our generation, covetousness quite literally sells. And it builds casinos. It establishes charitable foundations for selfish ends. It rigs elections. It fuels class warfare and racial hatred and envy. It inspires nations to go to war over commodities like oil and natural resources like water. And I could go on, couldn't I? Our generation does not understand the extent to which covetousness is a sin and breeds corruption. But don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to what Scripture says about this. God says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, some of you are familiar with this passage, People who long to be rich, let's just pause right there, long to be rich. What do you think the original Greek, the idea there is? People who covet money and its influence, that's what it's saying. People like that fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Think about this, this is covetousness that's speaking of. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, notice the word, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. 
James 4 and following, verse 1 and following says, says it this way, What's causing the quarrels and the fights among you? What's causing that? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? And notice what verse 2 says. You want what you don't have. Translated, you covet. You crave, you lust after, you enviously desire what you don't have. So, notice what it says, you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Evidence of the fact that there are times when we're praying for things and because the motive is junked up with covetousness, God just doesn't. He gives us what we need, not always what we ask for. You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Is that not an interesting thing that he says? His indictment is not that we're adulterers on a physical level. It's a spiritual phenomenon. That we've idolized something that we want. We've elevated it into a place that only God should have in our lives passage concludes by saying, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You're at odds with God? 1 John 2.15 talks about it this way, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Notice this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Notice what we're talking about? Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife. So all, all this is about physical pleasure, that kind of stuff. The world offers you only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. You see, part of the, part of the problem is, from God's perspective... Covetousness is not just wrong because, it's, because it corrupts everything. It's wrong because when you and I embrace it rather than him, we have begun down a path where we're assured to lose that which has captured our affections. The passage goes on and says, But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. If you and I are ever going to conquer covetousness in our lives, in our society, we've got to accept the truth about covetousness. We've got to believe the truth. The covetousness is a sin. It's always bad. It's not a legitimate motivator for life. Not for you, not for your children, not for your, your customers, not for your, your clients, your business partners. It's... Covetousness is always bad. It corrupts everything it's near, and God never approves of it. We've got to begin to believe about it what God says about it. Which brings us to step three. If we're going to conquer covetousness on a personal level, I mean, how we conquer this on a societal level in the culture in which we live Let's just say it's beyond the scope of this message, okay? It's, 
it's like how we do that in the America we live in today is tough to figure out. But the way to conquer it, I think, minimally is to say it begins with you and me. None of us would believe, should believe that we're so skilled or capable that we're going to solve it out there, but I can solve it right here with God's help. And I think that's how God wants us to view this. And if we're going to conquer covetousness, we've all got to humble ourselves and choose. This is the third step to conquering it. We've got to choose to honor God's word. Some of you are thinking, that's not what I thought you would say. We need to honor God's word. Let me explain. Think about this with me. God's first instruction to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was this. You can eat the fruit from any tree in the Garden of Eden. I give it all to you except this one tree. Don't eat the fruit from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It belongs to me. Remember? That one tree exclusively belonged to God, not them. Adam and Eve had a choice. Would they covet what didn't belong to them, or would they honor God's word, even though it didn't entirely make sense to them? Even though they didn't fully understand why God would withhold that from them? Would they honor his instructions, or would they conclude that God was holding out on them, and they could come up with a better way to do life? Listen to Genesis 3.6. The woman was convinced, this is in the garden, the woman was convinced, she saw, think, think about this, and think of the passages we've read. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted. You know what the Hebrew is there? She lusted after, she desired enviously, she craved, she She hungered for the wisdom that the tree would give her, the fruit would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Adam and Eve chose a selfish, sinful path instead of honoring God's simple instructions. And their covetousness opened the door wide to every kind of evil that we see today and every kind of evil that we've seen throughout the course of history. And you and I have to understand that we're tempted, every one of us, in the exact same way. We're constantly tempted by the evil one. Will we trust the clear, communicated word of God about things, about people, about priorities, about life, and all of its facets? Or will we come up with our own way? Thankfully, Jesus tells you and me how to close the door to this whole matter of covetousness. What's required to honor God's word, practically speaking. And he says this in Luke 9, 23. And this is so much of the core message that Jesus, that Jesus communicated, but I think we sometimes miss why Jesus would jump up and down repeatedly. It shows up in all the Gospels. It it's, a, it's a pivotal verse. 
In Luke 9.23, Jesus says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Just read it out loud with me, okay? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That was pretty good, but not totally convincing. Let's read it one more time, okay? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The key to conquering covetousness in your life and mine is honoring God's word. What does it mean to honor God's word? If we're going to succeed at that, that means that I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up the cross of Jesus. I'm going to embrace it every day. Because I can do it today and tomorrow forget. Right? If we're going to succeed at this thing of truly conquering covetousness, I'm going to deny my own desires and wants and wishes. I'm going to embrace the cross of Jesus daily. And I'm going to personally choose to follow Jesus' way of life, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, to serve the Father and others as he served the Father and others. I'm going to walk in his ways, choose to... I'm going to choose to follow him in every respect because when I follow him... I'm following the teachings of God as they were perfectly revealed in Scripture in his life. It's the only way to defeat covetousness. You know, when we look at passages like this, we think about covetousness. The temptation is to think, well, let's, let's just talk about resisting the comparison game. Well, you know, does that have any relevance to what we're talking about? Sure, don't bother comparison. But guess what? Willpower, none, most of, none of us have enough willpower to resist that. Some of us look at the other person and just say, she's so much thinner than me. Look how pretty she is. Why don't I have hair like that? Or some guy... Look at the car he's driving. I can't even imagine what his bank account must be. i got to work harder. Or on and on we could go, the comparison game. We could talk about that stuff, but fundamentally that's not where the war, where the battle is won or lost. The battle is not won or lost when you and I just have to try to resolve to be content because that's like saying try really, really, really hard to just be content. And some of us try really, really, really hard and then we buy another car, right? The battle is not won or lost when we just have to re rejoice in what we do have. Should we be more thankful? Of course, every one of us should. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving. Celebrate, thank God, then and every day. We, we should, but the fact of the matter is sometimes it's hard to be thankful if you're just looking at that other thing that I really want. Covetousness itself interrupts gratitude. We could talk about the power of releasing some of what we have to bless others and the role that plays in breaking the back of covetousness. But if all we're looking at is that slab of ribs, whatever it is, it's hard to think about letting loose of anything, right? Ultimately, the battle with covetousness is not won or lost in any of those areas, though they have relevance. The battle with covetousness is this. Ultimately, the intense desire and craving for everything we see can only be defeated by an intense desire within our souls that matches or exceeds it. 
an intense desire to honor the wishes of the one who made us, loves us, died for us. It's the only power strong enough to defeat the grasp of covetousness. We follow a God who loved us so much that he came to cleanse us from the eternal consequences of covetousness and every other sin that has entered our world because of it. And we got to choose to die to self, to go there. Anything else is just covetous management. It's just trying to... You see what happens, if we don't die to self, covetousness goes underground in the Christian community. And, and we try to look like we're not covetous when all the time we're really salivating just behind a closed door for something other than God. God doesn't want us to be spiritual adulterers like that. Maybe that's where some of us are this morning. The Holy Spirit is inviting every one of us, every one of us who struggles with covetousness. And let me just say, I'm right in there with you on this one. I, I could make a list for you of things that if I let myself emotionally go, if I didn't die every day, if I didn't embrace the cross of Jesus every day, you know, I could make some of the grand covetousness people of our day, I could be a poster child of this. I really could in my heart. I could be a great materialist and would have fun doing it for probably quite a while. But it doesn't satisfy. That's why the Holy Spirit invites us to die, to deny ourselves, to embrace the cross of Jesus, and choose to follow him and honor his word, not our wants. Will you go there? Will you go there with me today? When you wake up tomorrow, will you go there? And the day after that, will you go there? Every one of us can conquer covetousness and sin, but we can only succeed by honoring God and honoring his word and denying ourselves. In just a few moments, we're going to share in our communion time. It's a perfect time for every one of us to kind of remember that we need to deny ourselves and we need to embrace Jesus and his cross today and tomorrow. It's a perfect opportunity for that. In just a few moments, our ushers are going to pass a couple of trays. One tray has some pieces of bread on it. The other tray has some cups of juice on it. And you can eat the bread, which is a a reminder of the body of Christ, which was nailed to a cross. Quite literally, he, he denied himself the pleasures of life to such an extent that he allowed himself to be crucified. That that is what that's all about. And as you eat the bread today, I just want to invite you to say, Holy Spirit, as Jesus denied himself, help me to deny myself for his sake and eat the bread. Identify with him in his death to covetousness. And as you drink the juice, symbolic of his blood which was shed, just drink it and set it back and reflect on the fact that it's, it's a reminder of the fact that he was willing to give up his very life 
The life is in the blood, Scripture and science has told us. He gave it up. Drink the juice and just say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me to help me to want to live for you and to, to die to myself as I drink this juice, Lord Jesus. May your life fill me. Just pray for that. And the beauty of the whole communion experience is the promise of Scripture that, that God will meet us during this time. That he'll strengthen us. He'll bring healing to our souls. And particularly if we come and choose to live for him and die to self, he'll fill us. He'll fill us. Use this time to remember God's love, to confess anything that you need to. Use this time to commit yourself to God and honoring his word in whatever ways he's prompting you to do that this morning. Before uh, we take communion, though, for our usher service, we want you to listen to this next song. It's a great song, A Surrender. It's just a reminder of the grace, uh, of the mercy, of the forgiveness of God that's available for all of us. It's symbolized in this whole communion experience. And uh, listen, allow it to touch your heart, and then we'll share in communion right after that together, okay? I've enjoyed going through this whole Ten Commandments series. enjoyed it uh, more than I expected that I would on the front end of it. I'm sad for it to come to an end. But really, it doesn't. And in fact, next week, my message is entitled, this week of the series is the ten. Next week, the two. So you have to come back next week and see what we're talking about. But it relates to this more than you would expect, maybe some of you. So hopefully you'll be back because it'll be really a continuation of this, this series that we've been in. want to uh, encourage you to do that. <clears throat> if you're like me, I've watched the news. You know, I, I watch the news. I'm a little bit of a news junkie, not totally, but especially I've, the last months have weaned me from the news some. So I just don't watch as much. I can't tolerate it <clears throat> as much. But uh, please come and pray with us Wednesday night. I mean, God, God couldn't be more clear in Scripture. We need to pray. We need to pray for those in authority, and particularly when we've got people in authority and leadership positions who behave like some of the ones we've got right now. It's like we have to do something. And it's not acceptable to just sit back and complain. Come pray. Come pray. Join us anytime during that 6.30, 8.30 window. Maybe even come 30 minutes or whatever, but just a window of time. We're trying to give you a place to come and all of us to be able to do it together. So we'll be here Wednesday night, 6.30, 8.30. I just come and stay. You can come and go. It's kind of that type of environment. So hope that you'll come. I uh, want to encourage you, too, to stay around afterwards if you've never seen a baptism. Or maybe, as we're wrapping up here, maybe you've been listening this past weeks and you, you thought, you know, I, I need to give my life to Jesus and I need to be baptized. Or maybe you just think, what is baptism? Because you haven't thought about what baptism is. Baptism is when... Uh, that, that right over there is our baptistry. We'll move the, the lid off of that and put some stairs over there. We're going to baptize a couple of people today. And what baptism is, is when you go into the water, you're lowered under the water, and it's a picture of you identifying with the death of Jesus. When you come up out of the water, it's a, it's a picture of you identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. And when you die... The picture is, the, the idea is that your sins and old self dies and you are raised to walk in a new life empowered by the Spirit of God, blessed in his child. It's kind of the picture. So if you've never done that, 
or maybe you were baptized as an infant or something, a choice of your parent, which, you know, we don't fault your parent. They loved you and wanted you to walk with God. Yea, them. But if you've never done this as a demonstration of your faith, which is what baptism is all about, we just want to invite you to, to join us, participate. Maybe not today, maybe for some reason you can't, but we want you to participate because Jesus instructed his followers, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and that's, we want to help you be obedient to what Jesus has said there, okay? So maybe if you've never seen a baptism, invite you to hang around afterwards as uh, we baptize a couple of folks, and I'd uh, love for you to see that. Glad that you made it this morning. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer. If you need prayer for anything in your life, or you want to talk about some of this other stuff, we're happy to do that. Uh, just come on down afterwards after we pray. We'll pray specifically for you about whatever you need. And just let me encourage you, don't be afraid to come and ask somebody to pray with you. Uh, I mean, Scripture teaches us, you know, the, the, the church is all about the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer, prayer is what the Bible says. So I'll go read Acts 2 if you haven't lately, 42, or, uh, and just see that. And let us pray for you if you've got something you need us to pray for you about, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Glad you made it this morning. Father, thank you for every single person here. Thank you for those listening in today via live stream. Pray for your blessing, your presence in their lives. We pray, God, that you would help us to rise above the covetousness of our land and our time. God, help us to be men and women who are seeking after your heart and your ways more than we want anything else in life. Lord, that's a hard place for us to go. We know we need to go there. Help us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Jesus as he's taught us to do. Help us to do that today, tomorrow, every day, the rest of our lives. We just humble ourselves before you and thank you that you gave up your life for us. Would you leave with us now as we head out? And um, just continue to work in us and in our land. It's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer. Amen.